0: Our text is in the Gospel of John, chapter 16. So I'll read starting from verse 5, and I'll read through verse 15. Let's hear God's word. But now I go away to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you." Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that Jesus did come, that you have passed this world and all of creation on to him, that he rules uh, for your glory. He rules in obedience to you. And he will rule until he has triumphed over all evil. We thank you now, Father, for the fact that he is vanquishing evil and we are a part of that work. We ask you now to be with us in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So they, earlier in this uh, night, had been asking him where he's going. And yet he's now uh, kind of rebuking them, saying, uh, you are not asking me where I'm going. In other words, you've kind of tired of wanting to know where it is that I'm going. And yet uh, the disciples loved being around Jesus. It made them sad to reflect on the reality that he would no longer be with them very soon. And they, being around him, felt so full of life so full of righteousness, yet them uh, having to look forward to a time without him was depressing them. So at this point, it would seem that they felt that they weren't going to learn anything of greater value as to why he wouldn't be there, and so they really didn't care to ask him any more questions about that. But yet Jesus volunteers an awful lot of information here, and so that's what we're going to uh, review So beginning at verse 8, he speaks of the Spirit coming, and this is what's going to happen. When he, the Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So. This is all outward-facing, right? This is not towards the believers. This is towards the unbelievers. And so this is the uh, conviction that the Holy Spirit brings upon our world, sin, that they do not believe in Christ. I'm going to move back a few chapters. I want to read an excerpt from John 9, starting at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Now, who he's speaking of is the man that he had healed that had been blind from birth. They had cast him out, and they cast him out of the synagogue because they had threatened anybody that spoke up for Jesus that they would cast them out of the synagogue. And this man, this man was bold. When he had found him, so see, Jesus went looking for him. When he heard that the man had been cast out, he went looking for him. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him So there were men, Pharisees, walking with Jesus as he was seeking this man that they themselves had pitched out of their synagogue. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. So Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come to convict the world of sin. And what is the sin? that the Holy Spirit was going to convict them of—unbelief. And so these Pharisees, these very religious people, lived in unbelief because they refused to accept Christ, the only one that could point them to God, that could have them enter into God's presence. And we live in many ways in the same world now. We have so many people that are religious, and yet so few that believe. They don't know God. They don't know the Lord. And so also to convict the world of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. They were crucifying him wanting to kill off this Jesus who they saw as an affront to God. They accused him of sin. He had healed that blind man on the Sabbath day. And so, though they could not explain the miracle of the healing of this man who had been blind from birth, they chose to focus on the nitpicking of their own man-made law that there ought to be no healing because they regarded that as work. There ought to be no healing on the Sabbath. And so, they, they uh, swallow the camel and strain out the gnat. So, the righteousness that the world is being convicted of is the fact that he whom we of this earth rejected god has accepted into heaven to rule over this earth and so we are convicted of righteousness as a whole as mankind that we have cast out the son and then of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged so The world, collectively, at this time there in Israel, chose to reject the Son, reject the true ruler, the true creator of this world, and instead accept an imposter, accept the devil. We, when we sin, are essentially embracing evil. We want evil for that time. We don't want righteousness. Righteousness. So God convicts the world through the Holy Spirit of judgment. And that applies to all of us, all mankind. All of these apply to all of us, the sin, the righteousness, the judgment. And I want to read here from John 3, starting at verse 19. He's still in this conversation with Nicodemus, and he says this to him. This is the condemnation, that the light... Has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And so when Christ's perfection was being lived out for those three years of his ministry, he was a constant reminder of other people's imperfections. And so in the same way that we really sometimes find it difficult to remain around, around someone who is so much better than us at something, uh, we might be defeated by them constantly in some game, for instance, and eventually we just tire of it. We don't want to be with these people. They annoy us, their mastery of this game annoys us to the point where we don't even like them anymore we don't want to be around them now they could be annoying in and of themselves you know people sometimes don't accept very graciously their greater ability at something but we know that Jesus did Jesus didn't lord anything over anybody he was perfection however and so can you imagine being in his home being one of his younger brothers it was probably difficult for them always the perfect one and he was you know in all of our homes we imagine that the older is perfect because we're always being compared to them but yet in his home he really was perfect so it must have been terribly difficult for his brothers to swallow their pride over and over again and admit his perfection And that's why at the cross, he ends up giving responsibility for his mother to John the disciple, none of his brothers, because they still hadn't really come to reconcile the fact that he was perfect and that he was the Son of God. They had to come to that later. So our collectively, again, our deeds are evil, and so we just do not want to be around that which is perfect. Their light, their glory, their accomplishments shame and guilt us and cause us to be envy. The lust and the desire just rises from our dark hearts like an evil plague. So then we go to verse 13. However, when he the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. So he's transitioning now from the Holy Spirit's application at large to the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness. And now he's saying, this is what's going to happen in your hearts. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. There are three things really that it mentions here. The spirit of truth has come. When the spirit of truth has come, and one commentator spoke of the whole New Testament as really a living out of this one verse. When he, the spirit of truth has come and we see the coming of the spirit in the book of Acts and we see the pouring out and the operation of the spirit at large in the church, the founding of the church, he will guide you into all truth. Then we see all the little letters being written by the, by the apostles and the disciples and He will tell you of things to come. And so we see the whole New Testament really folding out as the appearing of the Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit, the uh, enshrinement of the truth in our narratives in the New Testament, and then that depiction of what was about to fall upon the entire Jewish nation, the elimination, essentially, of Judaism. We have vestiges of it today, but we have nothing like what was practiced in Jerusalem. And so we see that the promise and work of the Spirit Spirit has come and is exemplified by the presence of our Bible. No, the Holy Spirit does not play favorites. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, we are all for the Holy Spirit in the ways that we are already consistent with the Holy Spirit. But when all truth, because it says all truth, He will guide you into all truth, We like 90% of the truth, but we are all annoyed by the 10% of the truth that doesn't square with our practices, with our beliefs. And so we love it to see other people get their comeuppance, but we ourselves resent the Holy Spirit bringing that into our lives. And yet that must be what we want as mature Christians. We don't want to focus on the 90% we're already in agreement with. We don't want to just continue to celebrate, in a sense, that victory in our lives, majoring on what we already have gotten good at, perhaps. We must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's criticism of us when His truth conflicts with our practice. We must want to see that. We must thank the Holy Spirit for having awakened us to that sensitivity, to see him at work in our lives. And then what does he say next? Verse 14, he will glorify me. We in this culture, many in this culture, want to attempt to separate our spiritual lives from Jesus Christ. Many in the Christian church are embarrassed by Christ and they will not courageously stand up for the fact that Christ is central to Christianity, which is kind of silly because his name is in the religion. Yet, we want to embrace a culture that is tolerant of God, but is intolerant of Jesus Christ. Because God can just be this nebulous term to refer to whatever you want. So can spirituality, even a weaker form of God's small g. But yet our culture violently opposes Christ. And we must not bow to that. We must not give in to that. We must proclaim Christ as the center of our faith. Let's not minimize Christ's role. To the degree that our society wants to, we must go the opposite end. We have to clarify that all of what the Bible is about is glorifying our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would encourage us to refer to him as our Lord Jesus Christ, not just Jesus Christ, not just Jesus or Christ, but our Lord Jesus Christ, the master of this universe. Jesus bound the strong man in his sacrificial death, and we are playing out the despoiling of that strong man's kingdom. He had a kingdom. It is diminishing. Christ is taking it over, yet it will not go down without a fight. It will go down with with a lot of angst, a lot of anger, a lot of violence, and we must not shirk that. When we come to the table, we should reflect that desire to be changed by the Holy Spirit, to have him awaken within us a sensitivity to sin. Jesus died to crucify sin, and we want to crucify sin as well. We want to be aware of ourselves and not try to justify ourselves or minimize our disobedience in any way. You have to own it. We have to own our sin such that we can then cast it off and recognize it as evil. We want to be open to conviction, open to a full embrace of the truth and God's righteousness. And then the Holy Spirit will transform us. But yet we cannot be rejecting the Holy Spirit in his day-to-day correcting of us, and yet expect to somehow miraculously be transformed apart from our being open to it, our being welcoming of it. Yes, he who began a work and we will continue it until the day, but you must be an active participant in that. You want what the Holy Spirit has to give, and you will be blessed. You will be blessed immensely in overcoming sin, and in growing more and more righteous, and knowing that you're living a life that's glorifying to the Lord. So as you come to the table, recognize that that's what we do each week. We come to this table wanting the Holy Spirit to awaken us to a hatred of our sin. Father, we thank you for the fact that Christ has overcome death, that he has conquered sin, and yet there is still such a a clinging of the desire for sin in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our habits. And so we pray, Father, that you would have us cast these off, that they would not be cherished objects in our homes or in our minds, but that they would be recognized as trash and that we would desire you to help us throwing them out of our lives. We thank you, Father, for your kindness, for your goodness, for your presence with us. And we want you, Father, to have your Holy Spirit enter us and to cleanse this dwelling such that he would feel more and more at home in our hearts. We give you thanks, and we give you glory and the praise. In, his, in the name of Jesus, our uh, Lord and Savior, our King, and the King of this world, we pray. Amen.